With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Rohan Nakhni, joined today by my friend and New York Times best-selling author, Sports Illustrated senior writer, Chris Herring. Chris, I flew to New York earlier this week for my good friend Grant Wall's memorial. And I used to live here. And I got to say, I don't know how because I'm freezing. All I do every few hours is just look at what the temperature is in LA and think about just how nice and warm my apartment is there. My friend, first of all, Continuing to think of you and, and everybody else that worked with Grant, um, I, I didn't get to meet him, but I wish I had, just based on the way people talk about him, the way people have written about him this past uh, two weeks, really. Um, I'm going to segue a little bit, just because <laughs> you did. Uh, my friend, isn't it, like, I, I got, and it's rare I do this, like, I am like an all-star boyfriend, not to toot my own horn, but I, I'm very, very good at responding to my girlfriend like normally within minutes um via text i did respond but then i stopped responding this morning because she was like we've talked about where to live long term because she lives in new york i'm from chicago we both have very strong feelings about our city and by the way whatever his name is it always gets mad when we go off on a tangent at the beginning of our podcast sorry daryl sorry about Darryl. to snap but anyway <laughs> my girlfriend texted me this morning Please don't ever, ever, ever like stop comparing New York and Chicago temperature wise. She was like, this is the last straw. She's like, I looked at the weather today. It's like in the 50s here in New York. I looked at your all stuff. It's negative six in Chicago. I have my heat. I won't pick up my computer because it'll probably affect the quality of the audio. <laughs> I have my heat on 84 right now. 84? Despite that, it's only 75 in this room. I have like floor to ceiling windows throughout my unit. I'm bougie. Um, <laughs> and it, it makes it colder because obviously they don't keep heat in very well. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, I think it's 63 in my bedroom. It's 75 in this room, despite the fact that I have the heat on 84 um, because it's negative six outside. Uh, it's bad. It, it's bad. Yeah. And this is a week where it's like, yeah, I didn't respond to my girlfriend after a while because it's like there's no countering that Chicago <laughs> is just fundamentally way colder than New York. And today I, I, week is an example of it. 
Yeah, so someone who lived in Evanston, Illinois for four years, I can vouch for how much colder the Midwest gets. And in my defense, I did wear shorts to the bodega last night, much to my (laughs) friend's chagrin. He's like, what are you doing? And I even told the guy at the bodega that I would look after the counter for him if he wanted to smoke a cigarette as a joke. And he said, not while you're wearing shorts. (laughs) But I think the problem is, I think the problem is in this apartment I'm staying in, which you can see our, our... Dear listeners, cannot also floor to ceiling windows, and uh, this it's not practical in the winter. The right. heat the heat blows onto one specific part of the couch. That's it. Um, every other part of this apartment is freezing. Yeah. It really is just um, un untenable to live this way. I did want to tell one quick story about Grant's memorial, which was beautiful. And I know I talked a lot about Grant a couple weeks ago on this pod with John Wertheim, but I just want to tell one quick story just to show the kind of um, impact Grant had, just to compare the enormity of his life to the just insignificance of mine. One of my favorite bands is The National, and uh, you know I've gotten to interview them for GQ. I love The National. They're great. I've seen them in concert several times. On the program... On the program for Grant's Memorial, there's like, you know, it's like it has the list of speakers, you know, kind of just the run of events. And mm-hmm. there's different kind of moments where it says it's going to play this song by the National. You know, I think they opened uh, with the song Santa Clara, which I love. It's one of my favorite songs. They're like, we're going to close with uh, Sorrow. And in the middle, it says Light Years by the National. I'm like, okay, they're going to play a slideshow um, oh, wow. over this song, you know, called Light Years. It was not, that's not what it was. They had the two members of the band literally recorded a video from their homes of performing that song uh, for Grant. It was beautiful. It was, it was beautiful. And um, it just, it really just went to show the wide variety of people that he impacted. I could not imagine. Um, Yeah, I was, I was blown away. I was like, yeah wild moment but um yeah man i know i talked a lot about grant a couple weeks ago shout out to him i don't Um, think you can talk too much about somebody that touches people as this guy did like it's it's really beautiful it's really rare and um yeah love love your people when you get the chance to especially around the holidays for sure um and speaking of the holidays um i do (laughs) <laughs> no good way to bring this up after that, but we got we got the Christmas Day slate of games coming up. I will say I've always loved NBA Christmas basketball. I I'm I think maybe I've brought this up on the pod before, Chris. Like I didn't know, you know, I watched the NBA growing up, obviously, and I you know I think my earliest memories are you know watching the late '90s Heat on the Sunshine Network and watching the NBA playoffs with my dad. I remember watching the Robert Ory shot against the Kings. My dad was mm-hmm. like, they just need a three. I'm like, it's not that easy to get a three, dad. Um, <laughs> I and, hope you said uh, it exactly like that. I too. literally, I think I said it exactly like that. I was like, That's the kid just funny. get a three, dad. Like the other team knows they need one. And then of course, Ory hits that shot. Um, but I didn't realize how big Christmas day was until heat Lakers in 2004 Mm. um i i don't think at that point in my life i was 12 years old i'd been as excited for anything before than i was for heat lakers 
Christmas Day 2004 when Shaq was like, it's going to be like a Ferrari meeting a brick wall in the paint. Um, just incredibly hyped. So I do want to talk about the games a little bit. Um, before I guess we kind of get into some of the other games, I want to focus on the one I'm probably most excited to see teams. Uh, one of the teams we both wrote about this week. Um, let's start with kind of the Celtics and Bucks. Sure. Um, and I want to start with the Celtics actually, because they got off to this crazy hot start to the season. You know, I wrote about their offense a few weeks in and just the three point shooting was off the charts and, I think maybe we're seeing that come back down to earth a little bit. Rob Williams is back, and I think Rob has looked good. He's had some bounce, but they're still figuring out how to incorporate him back into the lineup. They've missed Al Horford for a little bit. Um, but now, you know, they've lost, I believe, four of their last – or five of their last six games even. A couple losses to the Magic. One was without Tatum. They lose at home to the Pacers. Um, they obviously had a couple losses on their West Coast trip. The offense has slipped a little bit. It's still great. It's still the best in the league. It's not at a truly historic pace anymore, although um, it's. I think it's. they still have the best non-2021 offense of all time, and 2021 was the year you know, teams are playing in empty arenas for most of the season. But, uh, yeah, Chris, I guess I'll just I'll, – I'll phrase it to you this way. Are you – are you nervous about the Celtics at all? Have you seen anything here that that's made you, you know, because for a while it looked like they were the one true great team in this league and they've come back down to earth a little bit. So what do you kind of make of the recent stumble here? Not not much. I mean, it's sure. It, I've, I've I follow enough Celtics fans to, to know they're frustrated, uh, mm-hmm. to know that aspects of this. I saw someone I actually kind of respect kind of, compare them to like last year's team as far as like before they figured it out last year Mm. which felt harsh uh i mean i I get it but the reality is they were playing heads and shoulders better than everybody else like you said um and you're when you've got sam hauser and everyone else on your roster shooting 98 percent from three for the first you know quarter of the season you're bound to have some regression at some point um, and you you mentioned it just a moment ago when you're incorporating pieces that maybe aren't new that have been on the team before but are new this season um, that play a big position. Um, it's going to fundamentally impact that, too, where all of a sudden you're not a five out offense anymore, uh, even though Rob Williams has played very well. Um, statistically, he's looked fine. That's mm-hmm. not the point. It still shifts what you're doing. Um so I'm not really fundamentally worried about that. I mean, you have guys that you already know are capable based on what you watched last year of um, of winning big. We already know that they're capable of putting a run together kind of in the second half. And, um, you know, for, for me, what I've wanted to see them do for a while, and they were getting better here, but as of late, it hasn't been quite as great, is, is their defense. They were great offensively for the whole first quarter of the season despite being like a decent, slightly below average defense. They were a dominant defense last year. So in some ways, if they can maybe take a little bit of the first quarter of this season and kind of wed that or marry that to the idea of like, okay, now you don't have excuses anymore to not be a dominant defense. You've got your anchor, your guy that, you know, is a huge difference maker in the late stages of the playoffs last year defensively and Williams. Um so if you had to sacrifice a little bit of offense to be better on defense, uh, 
you know, I, I, I don't think this is a good thing that they're going through this, but it's not the worst thing that they're going through this right now. Um, it's going to take them a little bit of time to acclimate to everything, but I expect them to be fine when it's all said and done. Do, are, are you worried about them based on this or how do you feel? It's interesting. I wouldn't say I'm worried. I'm I'm definitely a little curious. You mentioned, you know, they have crept up. I think they were, at last I checked the full defensive rankings, at least on NBA.com. I should really just switch to cleaning the glass full time, but I feel weird making that switch. I don't know yeah, why. That's they're gonna make they're gonna make me switch to cleaning the glass in a minute if they don't bring some of these stats back they used to have on the site. <laughs> Low, lowest of keys, like the whole comparison. Stat comparison. Yeah, they lost like the impact stats page. Yeah, the on-court, off-court ruined on NBA.com now. Yes. I feel like a player, some players probably complained about that and got it taken away. It's so (laughs) lame. It's so Um, lame. I don't even know if that's why it happened, but it's so lame. (laughs) But you've convinced yourself. I've convinced. Yeah. Um, They'd crept up into the top 10 defensively. Um, I am, you mentioned how when Rob is on the floor, they can't play five out. I'm I'm very interested to see how they, they kind of work through the front court over these next few weeks because I think they're at their best when they play smart white uh, Tatum Brown and Horford. I believe that's their most used lineup and their best lineup Mm -hmm. and one of the best in the league. And like you mentioned, they play five out. It's so hard to guard that group. There's so much space and that's why the shooting is so good. I mean, Tatum and Brown are breaking down your defense. You're collapsing. They're swinging the ball. Derek white is shooting the, Whatever the whatever the like dangerous climate harming materials we're using to build things now, he's shooting that off the basketball. Our <laughs> 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 NBA basketball sustainable, my column. <laughs> Goodness, but uh, like they're just so good when they play five out. And if you remember during the finals, I wrote about this a couple times. Like the two big lineups didn't really work for them against Golden State defensively, at least. I think they played more conservatively when they played Horford and Rob together. They played a little bit more drop. You know, Horford's been extended. Rob's been extended. I'm just, I don't think it's a serious problem. This is maybe like wishful thinking as someone who's trying to like break up the power of the DPRB. Um, You know, who's just seen so much Boston propaganda over the years, (laughs) had to stare it in its face on this podcast for so long. But, um, you know, yeah, like is it is it still really uh the right move for them to play Horford and Rob together when they've had so much success going small? And they could they could go really really small if they wanted to. You know, I mentioned this after the Golden State game, and I think they played this lineup for a a, a minute, a minute or two, just like a a hair. Like if they, imagine if they played Brogdon, Smart, White, Tatum and Brown. Um like people talk about the Raptors being this lengthy switch all team, uh, doing weird stuff. The Clippers, the Celtics have that capability um, if they wanted to go that way. But yeah, I'm just I'm interested to see like the front court and and how they kind of piece it together. How Joe Mazzulli decides to piece it together. Grant Williams is another factor in this, and I, I wasn't expecting to bring this up, but you know Grant is a restricted free agent this summer. He's making mm. about four or five million dollars right now. He's in line for a big extension. I, I, I get mad on Twitter when he's just doing his antics, but the truth is, I'd love it if he was doing it for my team. You know, I'd love it if he was doing it for like the Denver Nuggets. Um, he's such a good player, and I, I'm curious to see if they decide to keep all three of those guys because I think they've built 
they were so successful with Rob last year, and the I was so impressed watching him in that Pacers game, blocking shots, jumping up and down, running the floor. Like that version unlocks a new level for them defensively. But yeah, I'm just I'm interested to see how they kind of figure out their front court long term. Yeah, I, I was on the phone with him yesterday um, ahead of uh, writing a story about the about the Bucks and the Celtics. And and really, I, I'm just so struck by the – first of all, I think it has the potential, literally based on what happens tomorrow, to be the best rivalry in the league or become mm-hmm. the best rivalry in the league. Um, I don't think you get many teams that are as kind of closely aligned as far as where they're at, the potential they've got – but also just the physicality. And it's weird because normally you think about physicality and rivalries and like these teams hate each other. It was mostly just basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there wasn't mm-hmm. a whole lot of extracurricular stuff. We do remember Grant Williams and Giannis ending up on the floor every other play because they're just going at, well, I guess not going at each other. Giannis going at Grant Williams <laughs> repeatedly. Um, and that was what we talked about. Um, and part of what we talked about is just how important he's become for a team like that, that, um, you have all this star power there, but you also have a guy like Grant Williams that can shoot seven for 18 in a game seven because their offense is just like that, uh, mm-hmm. where where they, again, want to space the floor and kind of dare you to not guard some of their guys. So he's incredibly important. And I think most contending teams have a guy like that where it's like you either pay him or you don't. But if you don't, you're going to have a big hole there because how do you mm-hmm. replace someone like that? Um and it you know it shows you the value that certain teams have and and drafting well to where maybe they feel confident about being able to replace someone through the draft. Um, but good luck trying to find someone that can like both guard Giannis credibly. And granted, Giannis still put up you know wild numbers, but you can still guard him credibly uh, with somebody like Grant, and also get you know I think Grant is still above forty percent from three. And again, that's mm-hmm. after this regression that some guys have had over the last few weeks. So uh, they've got interesting choices coming up. I mean, I thought part of why the whole Kevin Durant for Jalen Brown question was mm. interesting too, just because do you want to pay Jalen Brown $45 million a year mm. soon? And I, I mean, these are real questions. Um, it, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. But it's a very, very interesting team that I don't, you know, I I, I don't worry. You, you said you weren't worried either. Um, th- this latest regression has not been the most fun, I'm sure, for their fans. But um, have this conversation with me, like if they're still doing this in like mid January, mm-hmm. which I don't think they will be. I think they'll be fine. Well, that's unfortunate. I was really hoping, you know, I have so much respect <laughs> for you, Chris, and I was hoping you could get on here and be like, nope, you know, Ro, I've seen it and it's not good, and they're falling <laughs> off. Unfortunately, I think we're on the same page. Boston's really good. I think it just says more about, hey, there are a lot of. There are no easy nights in this league this year. Orlando's been on a heater, and we'll have to do like a full, I think, not a full episode, but we'll have to do a full proper segment on the Magic some point soon because they've been awesome. Shout out to Bull Bull and Franz Wagner, and they've been getting better. The Pacers have been solid all year long. So, you know, yeah, I think we're on the same page there. We're not too worried about um, the Celtics. There's still a lot of talent. They're going to finish near the top of the East. Uh, it just to me says more about there are a lot of good teams in this league, and also Cleveland and Milwaukee have been good yeah. all year long. All so, been a game with them. Yeah, let's talk about the Bucks. They play the Celtics. I, I'm so excited for this matchup. You mentioned chance to be the best rivalry. It was, I think, by far the best playoff series last year, 
and that was without Chris Middleton. Middleton's been hurt again with the sprained ankle. He's doubtful for tonight's game against the Nets. I'm hoping he's back in time for Christmas. Um, I we both wrote about um, you know, you wrote about the Celtics and the Bucks. I wrote about the Bucks this week. I spoke to Brooke Lopez a couple weeks ago. First of all, I just want to say, incredible, incredible guy to talk to. One of my favorite people to yep. talk to. Uh, he was awesome. We're gonna run a second story at the end of the interview. I was like, hey man, like before we go, I just wanted to get your take on some comic book stuff. And he was like, I know we just talked about the pick and roll, but I could talk about this for hours. And yeah. he's like explaining the silver age of DC comics to me. And uh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna run a fun little Brooke Lopez comic book story. But did you, know, did I, you, you spoke to him? Did you speak to him over the phone for that? Or I did, that, I did. Okay. Cause so I, I was I, I interviewed him in Milwaukee recently. It's it's a much quicker trip for me because I live in Chicago, mm-hmm. or at least for the time being. Um, and it was so funny because you know you're a national reporter, like you're going in, you've got to like, hey, bro, like this for Christmas. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like a a private conversation. Yep. And then Brooke with like his 94 decibel voice, <laughs> like. Everybody oh. that's standing like 40 oh, feet back God. from us. It's like, well, damn, if I knew you were going to tell everybody, I would have just talked in my normal voice and not walked over here, you know, in on incognito mode. But that's it's so it, he's, funny. He's such a funny dude. Like I covered his brother for uh, the Wall Street Journal when when Robin was with the Knicks for what, a year, maybe two years. Um, those guys are just so much fun. And I know there's a video that's gone viral yeah. on Twitter. I think Pina uh retweeted it the other day Who? Um, yeah i know i know um it's <laughs> the, it's the holidays i'll be nice <laughs> the right, um but those two are just honestly so much fun and uh those when you can kind of get them to collaborate on something for a story oh, yeah. whether it's comic book stuff i thought one year the wall street journal was going to be able to and i was like is this kosher as far as they they had told me that they were going to be able to get two like advanced screening tickets for Star Wars one year. And so they were like, yeah, we can do that. Have one of you go with them. One of the reporters go with them and just sit with them for a Star Wars movie. Because like that would be an incredible piece to write. Mm-hmm. And so I told Robin that and he was like, dude, we're so there. Like, we're, so funny. you know, we're in there like swimwear. And hmm. then something ended up falling through. I think Star Wars is very, very, very particular about like giving tickets out so mm-hmm. it was kind of a false promise that the wall street journal made and i, I remember thinking robin's never going to speak to me again <laughs> uh based on the fact that i said that we could do this for him and then we couldn't but uh the two of them are just so much fun and they always have been just shout out to them absolutely anyway, man i mean to hijack your just, opportunity no no great to speak with and um you know i am uh, this is going to sound like a fake or something or i i, I I genuinely can talk to big men defending the pick and roll for hours. I, yep. It's such an art. It's such an art. And I think Brooke Lopez has made a case for Defensive Player of the Year this year. Absolutely. I think if I, think if I were voting today, I, I don't have a vote, but I think I would vote for him. And the nuance to his drop coverage is so remarkable. And... I just asked him, I was like, you know, what's running through your mind? Like when you're in drop and he's like, I'm thinking about is the screener, does he roll or does he pop? 
when he catches the ball, will he go right up with it? When he catches the ball, does he want to pass? Is he one of those centers that when he catches the ball, he doesn't know what to do? Is the ball handler a passer? Does he ever pass? Uh, does he like to go downhill right away? Is he looking for a shot? And you're mm-hmm. relying on instincts and film. And I was like, can you practice this? Like, how do you practice pick and roll coverage? Because you can only practice against the guys on your team, right? Um, and he's like, you, he's he admitted he's like, yeah, it's hard to practice, like it, especially at game speed. Like practicing against a Steph pick and roll, like Steph Draymond pick and roll, it's just not real. You can't do that. Um, and just listening to him explain kind of the nuances of how he plays defense, the way he patrols the paint, uh, you know, he broke it down from you. Speaking of Grant Williams. So I think the the one improvement the Bucks have made to their defense this year is they're giving up way fewer threes. You know, last year they gave up 43s a night. This year, 33 and a half. Um, you know, they're kind of middle of the pack. I think 13, 13th fewest threes given up a game this season, which is a huge improvement for the Bucks, who were the last four seasons were first, first, third, and first in threes allowed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he told me, he's like Mike Budenholzer, he's like he put it up the first day of training camp on the board the statistics about how many threes we give up. And I was like, do you think the Grant Williams game had an effect? I mean, they kept cheating off Grant Williams and Grant Williams kept making him pay. And he said, yeah, probably. Um, And hearing that candor from him, you know, he called the regular season a testing ground for them. He's like, we have all these little hypotheses that we want to test out. He wouldn't say that phrase with me before too. Yeah. Yeah. I I couldn't get him to say it, but I'm, I bet, that they're like they know Boston wants to shoot threes, they know they can't cheat against Boston if they if they want to play, and that's what just makes this matchup so exciting. Is these teams know they have to kind of go through each other, um, but I, yeah, I guess I want to get your take because I think the Bucks defense has been so good. Brooke has been such an integral part of it. What do you think of kind of the style the Bucks want to play against Boston? Because now Boston is sold out even more to the three point line. And Milwaukee's going to want to stay and drop. Brooke told me, he's like, I'm confident in switching. I think I've gotten a lot better at it. He works on it. You know, he's working on his lateral movement in the offseason specifically to switch. And it's that to me, I'm like going to get weirdly emotional talking about this. But when you, what to me, like the beauty of the NBA is something like Brooke Lopez is like hardly going to switch during the regular season. And it doesn't even matter how much he switches during the regular season, but he is doing specific workouts in July in the event that like he needs to switch out on Jason Tatum 10 months later um, for two or three possessions. Like he like that, that's the level of detail that some people are putting into their games. But what do you, what do you make of kind of the bucks defensive style and, and how it could work in a theoretical matchup against Boston in the playoffs? I mean, who who knows exactly what comes of it, but the fact that, you know, for all the criticism that Mike Budenholzer gets, and I think some of it has been fair, I also think NBA Twitter has a tendency to kind of beat things into the ground. Mm-hmm. And I think that with him, you know, it's been one of them, is that he overhauled the Bucks into what they are in the first place, which is to space the floor around Giannis. Mm. Uh, that wasn't a small task. He did it overnight. They mm-hmm. went, they became the 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 most aggressive three-point shooting team in the league overnight. Um, And, you know, quite frankly, if we're talking about, like, strategic shifts that they make, um, the year that they won the championship was the same thing. Um, 
frankly. The idea of them creating a dunker spot for the Bucks, for Giannis, really, so that they could find a way to kind of shift the idea of teams just being able to load up against Giannis, mm-hmm. finding a different spot for him or for other teammates to kind of hide away um, to make teams pay for doing that. It made their offense look weird for most of the beginning of that season, and that's part of why. It's that sort of stuff. It's the Celtics season last year where you watch a team struggle or kind of run in place for 20, 25 games at the beginning of a season, and then they take off after the All-Star break. It's why I don't put so much stock, as much stock in the first 25 or 30 games as I used to, particularly when a team is healthy Hmm. or mostly healthy and still struggling. You know, I I wouldn't make that much of the fact that the Bucs looked the way they looked uh, record-wise. I mean, and they've been fine, by the way. They're within a game of first place. But Middleton hasn't played and hasn't played well, even when he has, really. Mm-hmm. Not to his standards. Well, um, they've been better with Javon Carter in the starting lineup than Middleton. Absolutely. Javon Carter probably has more 30-point games than Chris Middleton does this year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I you know, it, it's been a weird season for them. But even in a year where they won the championship, they had a very weird beginning, almost first half of that season, where people were asking, like, what's wrong with them? Uh so I get that that's a question, but I also think we have a tendency to break the season down into like one and two week segments mm-hmm. with the way we talk about it through podcasts, stories, uh, fan bases. Like, I just think everything is kind of what have you done for me lately? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the the team is undergoing some shifts to try to get themselves to a higher ground. And, you know, the, the same thing was true of the way they went about offensive rebounding that year. Um so I, I I have no problem with them trying something new. They clearly needed to because that is kind of who they're going to measure themselves against as Boston. And um, it would be easy enough to say, oh, you didn't have Middleton last year. All you got to do is add him and then you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, some people would have done that. Mike Budenholzer is trying to do something that's a little bit more proactive or reactive, at least after that game seven to try to get to shooters. And like you, I'm glad you pointed out in your story. It was a really good observation. Um, it's not just Brooke Lopez just dropping to the rim and and being one of those. What was that Netflix thing where you just put the blindfold on? Uh, Sandra Bullock. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, okay, Bird Box or I don't it's, remember. It's that. not him just movie. pretending to not see stuff. It's like he's, right. he's actively making decisions based on you know the the different personnel, mm-hmm. how far into the into the paint they're trying to get. Like, are they going to pull up? Do you let? Are there certain guys you mm-hmm. kind of leave alone to try to do that? Um. But he is so good at it, and um, I mean, there's an element of it. Like, I, I think Brooke Lopez, if you could give, like, a lifetime NBA award for, like, the most um, overhaul that one player has seen yeah. to their game, offensively and now defensively, too, it's probably Brooke Lopez. I can't think of anybody who's like even if you were just looking at the offensive side he could be up for that award but when you Mm -hmm. factor in the idea that that and you can maybe like he used to be seen as a a poor defender um a guy that couldn't move his feet and hell even with drop you could make the argument oh he's still not moving his feet but again he does it's just it's it's in interesting ways and it's on a defense where like there's a lot of pressure there because Mm -hmm. okay now if you're telling your shoot your your defenders to play up further to not give up as many threes, um, that's going to allow more people to get into the lane when they, you know, are forced to put the ball on the mm-hmm. floor. 
Um, so Brooke has been fantastic. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure who else I would have in that immediate conversation for yeah. defense player. And I felt like last year he had a decent case um, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year too. And it started to fade um, obviously once he was hurt, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see whether he can win it. Um, he's more deserving than Giannis, which is yeah, like crazy to think about a, a large statement to make for someone that's won the award before. And just as Giannis, you know, to be honest with you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah. I asked him, you know, would it, would it really mean something to you to win this award? And he admitted it. Like so, some guys don't want to admit it, or I think some guys really don't care, but he's like, you know, he, he, met, he alluded to what you're saying, Chris. He's like, I think I've had a very unique career arc. Um, so it would mean a lot to me. I think he recognizes the improvements he's made on that end of the floor. I asked him if he was a three and D guy. He's like, you know, that's funny. I thought about that. He's like, I like to think I do a little bit more, but he has had such a fascinating career and he's made, you know, he was dumped by the Lakers a few years ago when they signed LeBron and he signed for the minimum with Milwaukee and he was so good that first year they gave him a big deal. So I'm really happy for him. I'm excited to see that, that matchup. I think it's by far the best game on the schedule and it's such a great that it seems playing different styles it's just gonna be such a good matchup there are some things that are too good to keep a secret like how your amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip i'd like to check into the centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables Ooh, yum and how you get the most out of select can't miss events with access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Two of these games, Lakers, Mavs, no Anthony Davis. I mean, whatever, man. Um, Grizzlies, <laughs> Warriors, no Steph. We just saw the Warriors give up 91 points to Brooklyn in the first half the other night. I bet Golden State competes at home, and I'm sure they're feeling embarrassed after that game, but a huge, a lot of air taken out of that balloon. We can maybe talk about those very briefly at the end here, but which of these games would you like to talk about next? 76ers, Knicks, or Suns, Nuggets? Uh, probably Sixers, Knicks, to be honest with you. I'll, I'll make one quick note on the Lakers, Mavs. I'm not going to watch it. Uh, I, I don't I, I'm not one of those people that sits and watches five games in a row back to back to back to back to back. I'm sorry. I'm going to enjoy my Christmas a little bit more than that. Um, but I, I think Luca will go for 50. I actually put it in <laughs> our roundtable today that like the Lakers defense since Davis got hurt has been trash. 
125 points per 100 possessions they're giving up. And Luca is Luca. Yeah, um, no, like that's no a team good... has a great person to guard him. But yeah. if you don't have anyone at the rim to stop him, and your defense has been trash lately, and and remember last time they played, he was going at LeBron. He was trying to make LeBron tired. He was trying to make LeBron work. Yeah, um, and there's that yeah. part too. So I mean, I imagine Bron doesn't want to get embarrassed on Christmas. Yeah, but true, well, Luca I mean, probably I, doesn't care. I hope that one gets ugly quick because my Miami Dolphins will be playing at 1 p.m. on Christmas Day, and uh, as everyone knows, I'm back in deep on the Dolphins and Narcotics, so <laughs> I will be keeping a close eye on that game. Well, let's talk about the Sixers and Knicks, which every year I complain about them putting the Knicks on Christmas. It's just, I think, a disservice to the product. There's so many good teams. Not this year. The Knicks have been Really good over the last month of the season. Um, <laughs> shout out to Mitchell Robinson. Shout out to Quentin Grimes. We Jalen Brunson, I love the signing. He's been fantastic. Julius Randle, I think, is is now much closer to the player we saw two years ago than the player we saw last year. Um, but, you know, I mentioned the guys Grimes, Robinson. They've been so good for their defense. Um, the Sixers are getting it together here. They're now 18 and 12. Um, I saw Rob Mahoney uh, make this point. In the last week, like maybe we're not talking about Embiid enough this season. And he, I think he's right. We haven't talked about Embiid on this podcast in a long time. He's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been without Tyrese Maxey and they've continued to win games. I think this should be a really good matchup. It should be, honestly. I, you know, it's why I wanted to talk about it ahead mm-hmm. of the, the, the Suns uh, Nuggets uh, question. Um, Embiid, I mean, it's, it's, I was saying this to someone the other day. I know my man is really tired of like not being the first point of conversation. Uh, obviously, <laughs> he's not won an MVP before. I can't remember if he or Luca came in as the favorite this year because I, I mean, the opportunity is there for the taking. Jokic is having, you could argue, because of his efficiency and the fact that they're like sniffing first place in, in the Western Conference, that this is like his masterpiece season. I mean, his numbers mm-hmm. are. I think his true shooting the other day when I looked at it was like 67. It, it, it's like <laughs> he, ridiculous. Jokic has been insane. He's been ridiculous. I mean, he's yeah. had, you know, 40 and 30, 30, 40 point, 30 rebound games or whatever else he's doing. He gets triple doubles within 15 minutes. Like it's, he's next level. And despite that, there's almost no chance of him winning mm-hmm. a third straight MVP, which like I'll be the first one to admit is unfair. Um, but it's the reality. So I say all that to say, uh, Embiid is leading the league in scoring. I think as last, you know, the last I looked, he's averaging 33 a game. This guy's pushing 35 points a game, and not only is not probably the MVP favorite, he probably, as of right now, would not start the All Star game. And it's like I know my man has to be fed up. I know he does because he literally. I mean, after last year, I don't think he helped himself with this necessarily. But he's like, yo, I feel like the media must just hate me. Or whatever mm-hmm. it was that he said, and it's like, okay, no, it's not, it's not true. But I you're do right. Also I didn't think about that. I didn't pick him as an all star starter. <laughs> and I'm I, like, you know what I said when we did our roundtable on that? Like, who would you pick as your starters? Backcourt, frontcourt. I've just put Embiid as a backcourt starter because I'm like, enough, enough. <laughs> like, it's time for someone to make a point. Like, the league is letting us put people at forward that haven't played a minute of forward in for all NBA and other stuff. So that we can have him and, and Jokic and other people on the all NBA ballot. 
there's not a second there's not another guard that's so deserving outside of Donovan Mitchell to where I think we have to have two. I would rather have one. By the way, like if Giannis and Tatum and Durant are your starters, your other starters that are going to elbow and beat out of a spot, your leading scorer in the league out of a spot on a winning team. Like what what about that is so wrong? Like you you can build a couple of guards, a couple of wings they, out of that. They like, should let you put Tatum in the backcourt. They should just let you put Tatum so in the backcourt. It's so stupid. Like, like yeah. the, the, why is the league so like stodgy about we've been playing positionless basketball for almost 15 years now like yeah. dating back to like lebron i remember i was writing about when bosch was like starting to shoot threes yeah. you know and playing the five for the heat like what are we doing we're literally <laughs> almost 15 years into this and we it arguably started even before then so what are we doing like let let the best players play we need to get we need to get Howard back on it. Beck's got the contacts in the league. He's, I mean, we so, need to get we need to get back on that. So anyway, I, I say that I think it's going to be really interesting to watch Embiid against a group of players that are are hungry that I think like legitimately want their due as far mm-hmm. as how they've been playing lately in New York. Now, granted, their their streak barely was snapped the other day against Toronto because Pascal Siakam went nuts, um, but. The Knicks have been like legitimate. It's it's one of the few times we talk about NBA Twitter. One of the few times where like they were so spot on that like I would almost feel a little bit sheepish if I were like the Knicks front office or Tom Thibodeau, which is that the the fans of that team have wanted so badly, so badly. We're beating the drum preseason, begging for Quentin Grimes to to mm-hmm. start, mm-hmm. To, for him to start over Evan Fournier. They knew it was a a, a fever dream. Um, and then Quentin Grimes was hurt to start the year, so it was like they didn't even get a chance to see it. Um, you know, Derek Rose, Tom Thibodeau and Derek Rose are, are like friends till the end because of everything in Chicago. Um, and Derek Rose is absolutely going to be getting time over Miles McBride, Deuce McBride. Um, so, you know, better late than never, however you want to phrase it, like taking a chance on your young guys. If you needed a team to play better defense, which – in my mind, no matter how good the Knicks were on offense, they were only going to thrive potentially as a team that played good defense under right. that coach. Tom Thibodeau needs a good defensive team to thrive. Um, it's just how he operates. So the fact that they weren't willing to try those guys last season really until they had to or at the beginning of this season when they really could might be later than you wanted. But if you're the Knicks, you will always take a seven-game win streak especially as you're on the way into a Christmas game where Mm -hmm. all you want as a fan probably is to not be ridiculed by the media because of exactly what you laid out, which is, oh, man, we got to sit and watch the Knicks again. (laughs) It's it's a different sort of like I feel like that experience for them is probably a lump of coal for fans and maybe for the Knicks, too, because they normally get skunked on national TV. But like they have a legitimate chance to win this year. They look like they're on the right track. I don't know what I think of them like ceiling wise. Um I still don't expect them to be anything higher than like a six. Maybe they can avoid the plan altogether if they, if they continue to play well enough and some of the stuff is real. But the defensive stuff looks real enough. Um, and you you made you brought up the point about Randall. For me, I actually see him as being like a perfect in between now of what he was in that All NBA yeah. season yeah. and what he was last year. It's like now he's got a guard to run the show. It actually seems like he's somewhat content letting Brunson do that. Mm-hmm. 
he wasn't as bad as what he showed last year, and he wasn't quite as good as what he showed in the All NBA year. Agreed. And now he's like a borderline All Star. And I think if you're the Knicks and he's not being an asshole and he's like not, you know, just, just having like these episodes on the court where he is getting two texts in a row out of nowhere, where he's not like uh, bad mouthing the fans and uh, you know on the court or in the media or anything like that. Like, I think you deal with this. I think you live with this. If he could do this consistently, you're not all of a sudden you're not needing to trade him anymore, which is kind of what it felt like for mm-hmm. a lot of last season. So I think you would deal with this and figure the rest out later. Barrett's been playing better. The defense has been really good. Mitchell Robinson's been, you know, been able to get back in, in the group. Jericho Sims has been a really good backup center yeah. for them. It's a really interesting team. Like, I don't know what to make of them. I don't love the idea of all these suggestions of Zach Levine being a fit there like i don't I, think taking a chance on that guys, contract and yeah yeah like all of a sudden it, it, it gums up your situation like you want a star i don't think you need him also if your defense is what's been driving you for the last three weeks do you want to get someone that's really not known for that that maybe right. on his best day can play some defense but not really i i would i would probably stay away far away from that i know they want like that missing piece but i don't see him as that guy um, so I'm, I, but I'm, I'm really intrigued, um, and I think it could be a very decent game on on Christmas. Absolutely, and uh, you know, we talked so much on this podcast earlier about how, you know, earlier in the sense of this episode and the episodes we've done so far this season about Boston being kind of the clear cut number one. The East is nowhere near as bunched up as the West. Like the West, like in the West, one to eleven are separated, one to twelve are separated by six games, mm-hmm. which is just crazy. The Knicks are within five games of first. Imagine if I told you that a week ago with the way Boston was playing. Um, not that I think they're going to get up there, but Brooklyn's been on an absolute hot streak. They're not playing on Christmas. Katie joked about it. It's because of his trade request. But <laughs> like, yeah, Cleveland has won five in a row. I mean, look at this. Cleveland's won five in a row. Brooklyn's won seven in a row. Sixers have won six in a row. The Knicks were on a big win streak, just finally lost against Toronto. Like one to six in the East is shaping up to be really decent. I think the Knicks might have the lowest ceiling out of that group. I I still think it's going to be an uphill battle for them to win a first round playoff series, but I think their floor is a lot higher than it was even two years ago when they had kind of the the fan. You know, I don't even know how to describe it, but you know, this storied run to the first round or or not the the post bubble season, but yeah you know and they lose to atlanta i think this team's way better than that team i'd love brunson and you know compare them to a team like the heat for example because the heat uh also have a really good defense but i think why i frankly like the knicks more is like they just have uh an offense that makes a little bit more sense i mean miami has a particularly bad offense it's not like the knicks are killing it on that end of the floor but they just have like and even randall i think frankly has some uh still has like not great moments but like yeah they're 10th in offense and i think brunson and randall can go get them buckets um I, i think barrett even though i thought barrett i i really thought he was turning a corner last year like it started like maybe a month from this time last year or in January. I really thought he was turning a corner. It's not like he's been bad, but maybe well, it's good that he's a third option. You know, maybe it's good that he's in the role that he's in now. 
I don't I, I don't know. I mean, I think I'll probably write something about him soon. Uh, I, I feel like he's got to be I, I wouldn't even say he's the most polarizing guy anymore because I think most people have even Knicks fans have been kind of down on him uh, with the start he had this season. I think whenever you get a big contract like that and then start slowly, people are going to be like start as slowly as he did where he was sub 30 percent from three for a while. If you look at his last, let's see, how many games is this? Maybe eight, 26 points, 27 points, 22 points, 27 points, 24 points, 18 points, 30 points. Only in two of those games did he take 20 shots or more. Mm. So, I mean, that's pretty good efficiency for him. Over that run, he's shooting 480 from the field, 395 from three. 25 points a game, five rebounds a game, three and a half assists per game. I mean, he, but if you look at his career so far, which what is this for him year for? Um, mm-hmm. he, his splits in October and November are hideous. Yeah. They're he horrible. Always slow. He always starts slowly. And then he always has a stretch like this where he's good for two weeks. And I can, you know, if he, if, if this year is anything like the past ones. He's going to have another stretch where he goes a week and a half and forgets how to shoot again. Like it just kind of happens for him. Um, And the fact that it was the case this season doesn't surprise me because I kind of felt like he was the most likely one to like, I think Randall's better about looking for a shot. I think sometimes the point where he's selfish, (laughs) Barrett. That's a good way to put it. Absolutely. And Barrett is like a little bit more polite about it, but also is going to like, sometimes force the issue whether it's like a a, a poorly timed Mm -hmm. three sometimes he's going to try to get to the basket but like also all these guys are left-handed and so are they all kind of using the same side of the floor and like you know they all can shoot threes but none of them is like a dynamite three-point shooter so it's kind of cramped in there uh especially if, if mitchell robinson's playing and he has to be in the paint so he like he's not the best finisher at the rim He's not always completely comfortable finishing with his right hand as opposed to his left. So, like, he's got flaws to his game. He's also, like, not so athletic to where he can just jump over people all the mm-hmm. time. So, if, if he's not shooting well, and by that I mean, like, from the perimeter, you're asking a lot of him to try to be efficient solely from two-point range because it's really not, you know, like, if he's not shooting well, he has some struggles in getting all the way to the basket sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a great free-throw shooter. So, it's like... You know, he's got a lot of flaws there. He needs a lot of things to go right sometimes to play really, really well offensively. I think he could have been better defensively sometimes. I think that was why Knicks fans were starting to get a little bit fed up. But this this stretch for him where he thaws out always comes through sometime by mid, late December. And it should make Knicks fans excited because if he plays well and the other two guys can keep playing as well as they have and you're getting defensive contributions from the other guys and Grimes, McBride, Robinson to some extent, um, it's it's a team that could steal a series. I, I I don't expect them to win in the first round, but maybe. Like you never know. You you never know what yeah. they're capable of. You never know if they play a team like Cleveland, which again I don't expect it. I would still pick Cleveland, but Cleveland hasn't been to the playoffs before. Mm-hmm. Some of the Knicks players have. A lot of the Knicks players have. So you you never know. Uh, yeah. You know you just never know what can happen if if they're a six and Cleveland's a three. It gets interesting. That's all. Yeah. Like I I think they could do it. I wouldn't expect them to, but they could. It's it's within the realm of possibility. Absolutely. I'll just say this: they're only ninth in net rating, but 
top 10 in both offense and defense and that that bodes well i mean they're they're just barely hanging on for life in the top 10 offensively um but yeah i think that's uh that's impressive top 10 offense and defense for the knicks um i know we didn't talk about the sixers too much um i think we're both in agreement and has been fantastic i saw keith pompey who's their great beat writer um had a mailbag today <laughs> shout out to keith um a favorite of ours uh he had a mailbag today that was like worst contract al horford or pj tucker they're just killing pj um I think the fans are because he's not scoring. I still think he was a good signing for that team and has been really good defensively and will be even more worth it in the playoffs. We'll we'll have to talk more about the Sixers at some point, but they're they're coming along. They've been good. Um, I think I just looked at PJ's numbers, man. Like, I mean, so he's he's still shooting fine by his standards. I mean. The forty-one percent is low, but you just need him to shoot decently from three. It's just right. that he doesn't take them, and it's 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 kind of feels like he doesn't trust himself. Yeah, as much, but his numbers you know, are like my, even Draymond is kind yeah. of like blushing at his numbers a little. Miami bit. put the ball in his hands a little bit more last year, and I think it gave him some more life on that end of the floor. Whereas the Sixers, it's not run like a true James Harden team where you know uh, it was like PJ back on the Rockets. Because they have Embiid also, and Embiid's been fantastic, and he needs post touches, and you know they're not giving PJ Tucker one pass away three point shots on Embiid doubles and things like that. So listen, can he be better offensively? Yes. Do you bring PJ Tucker in for his offense? No. Um, and I think Harden has been good this season. I think like a lot of people, we're going to need to see it in the playoffs. But they're they're doing. They've been playing really well. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime Annual Plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We'll have to talk about the Sixers more in the future, but I just wanted to get to this last game a tiny bit here. The Suns and the Nuggets. Phoenix, even after going on a little bit of this of a slide here recently, is still top four in the in the West. They're one game out of first. They're playing the two teams tied for first. Memphis, they play Memphis tonight. We're recording this on Friday, and they play Denver on Christmas Eve. 
Um, Suns Nuggets played in the playoffs a couple years ago. The Suns swept them out when Denver was hurt. Um, do you see? Could you see either of these teams making the finals this year, Phoenix or Denver? Yeah, I I, I could. I think if you had to, if you're like forcing me to decide which I think could do it, um, I'd probably take Denver, but. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff historically there, and you and I have been talking about it kind of even in our group chat about the disappointment we've had lately with Denver's defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to some extent, we'd had conversations about the sustainability of, of whether they could make that work. Um, they have enough personnel to be better defensively. Mm-hmm. I think that's clear. So it, it makes you wonder whether there's some different stuff they need to be trying to do scheme-wise. They've been trying to do some of that, but I feel like the Nuggets scrambled defensively more than really anybody and they that's play the like a, that... a defense from like 12 years ago right <laughs> right they i remember man it's not quite 12 years ago but i remember when jason kidd coached the bucks and they would switch everything no matter whether it was like a smart switch or not they would almost pre-switch certain things and they were just racing around and like granted you had the personnel to kind of make that work but your team was going to be tired Every night, mm-hmm. trying to chase everybody, every single possession. Teams also knew that they could, because you were trying to switch so aggressively, they could like pump fake you with a pass, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know you'd just be out of rotation completely. But um, Denver looks like that a little bit sometimes, like the Jason Kidd kind of Bucks era. Um, so, I mean, defensively, they're like in the bottom six or seven of the league at this point. Which, generally speaking, unless you're like a Shack. Kobe level offense. <laughs> right. That's not good enough normally. Or or like I think the Cavs had one year where they were that bad yeah. defensively with LeBron and um with you know um and I the think East was just so bad that the East was so bad. Right. Yeah. So it, it I mean if you have a conference that is kind of weak or that your player is so much better than everybody else's, can it work? Yes. Do I think Denver is that good offensively? No. Um not right now. I mean, maybe they can hit that level, but I tend to think that they need to be at least a little bit better on defense to get there. Um, and but I would still take them over Phoenix. I, I still can't quite shake last year in in terms of the way I think about Phoenix. You know, looking at them this year, they've had some injuries. They've been up and down because of that. Um, pretty much all their key guys at one point or another have mm-hmm. been hurt. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's been a little bit harder to know what to make of them. Obviously, props to them because they've still stayed in the hunt despite all those injuries. But also, we're looking at like a a lower producing Chris Paul, which was bound to happen at some point. Um, so I I don't know. Like part of me wonders too. Even if you've got guys like Paul and them healthy, Paul specifically, would you benefit from kind of really taking it easy with him so that he's got something left for the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Um, because he it really did look to some extent like he ran out of gas. We made the joke. We all made the joke about, oh, now he's 37, he's 38, whatever he was. Um, yeah. Now he's like, you know, someone switched the off I mean, he on. fell off right after his, his birthday. He, I mean, was, I'd never seen anything Turnovers, like, like yeah, it was inefficiency, crazy. you know, just inability to kind of keep the pace where they wanted to keep it. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't be shocked if they make it to the semis, but I... There's a part of me that will be a little bit surprised if they get past that. Um, even though I know they they looked the part statistically and everything and standings wise, they're right there. But um, 
I, part of me just will believe it when I see it with that yeah. team, I think. It's it's so hard to figure out the Suns because, as you mentioned, on one hand, they're right there. For them to be one game out of first when Chris Paul's missed time, Ken Johnson's been out since, you know, after the second week of the season pretty much, DeAndre Ayton's missed time, Devin Booker has missed time, and, you know, the other last week a clip goes, or it might have been earlier this week, a clip goes viral of Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton getting into it on yeah. the sideline. Mikael Bridges and Ayton getting into it during the game. You know, everyone in Phoenix saying it's not a big deal. And it's on one hand, you're like, this thing's falling apart. And then you look up and they keep winning games somehow. I mean, it's it's their most they, impressive quality dating back yeah. to the stuff with Sarver and, and everything else. Like, yeah. they, the Sarver investigation broke and then they reeled off like an 18 game win yeah. streak two years ago or whatever it was. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know what to make of them, yeah. but I, even with that and even with their ability to withstand that, um, I s- still am kind of like, I'll believe yeah. it when I see it because yeah. it's like maybe it takes so much energy out of them to hold it together despite the the fissures and stuff like that and, and the cracks in the foundation. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I also think it's interesting not to take too much from what he's saying. I've really enjoyed Inside the NBA lately. I've, I feel like I'm really vocally critical of them sometimes, but it's been enjoyable lately. Um, the Christmas stuff that they were doing between so like funny. the giveaways and stuff were were wonderful. Obviously, they've got a lot of money to kind of to mm-hmm. to give away to folks and and things to give to people, which is wonderful. But Barkley said it, and I think it's always interesting because obviously he cares deeply about the Suns. He was like, something's wrong in the water over there. And granted, he's making a lot of light of the of the Monty Williams, DeAndre Ayton stuff, but that does seem odd to me that like they don't have to publicly tell us that they're good. Maybe they are and we just don't see it, but it's like without them having ever said that they are. And then you add on to that, like a shouting match that they're having mm-hmm. on the sideline. It, I, I just think that, I mean, Phoenix is one of the biggest cities in America, but they don't get big market treatment. And I kind of mm-hmm. feel like if they did, we'd all be like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, like if this was the Knicks, if this was the Lakers, um, They've got so many guys on that team that are just like really, really good players, but not to the level of like, wow, DeAndre Ayton got in a shouting match mm-hmm. with a former coach of the year. Like it just doesn't get much attention. Um, and I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because they continue to win. I'll just say on the flip side of that, I think Devin Booker probably deserves more attention for what he's done this season. He when does. He's been healthy. And I think he's been fantastic. And I think that there's like an internet conversation that lingers around Booker that he's this empty stats guy. He can't be the best guy in a good team. This is his team now. You, I think He's Chris been Paul's the best been, player on this yeah, team for a minute now. Yeah, and Chris Paul's been better over the last. Uh, you know, he's. I think. Shout out to Gerald, um, uh, who covers the Suns. Oh God, I'm forgetting his last name. Um, I can't. I don't know how Borge, to pronounce his last Borge, name yeah, exactly. Borge, but it, you know, he, I think he did Chris Paul splits, and it's small sample size on both ends. But his first 11 games, he was bad. Since then, he's been good. Um, but. I think Booker's been really, really good. And, uh, you know, he, he's obviously not like a Jason Tatum, but I think he's better than Trey Young. And I, oh, no question. And he close. might, he, I don't think he gets talked about as much or recognized as much. And he's really taken ownership of that team. Um, we'll definitely be talking more about the Suns in weeks to come. Uh, I just wanted to go back to the Nuggets defense real quick because I also wrote about that this week. You mentioned like they're putting two on the ball with Jokic because they want to hedge with him. It's a way to keep him active and engaged. And they're just in scramble mode. I, they should be better with Brown, KCP, and Gordon on Absolutely. the floor. 
They've been decent. Christian Brown was in the starting lineup against the Grizzlies. He had a great game, but you're not starting him over Jamal Murray. Um, you know, you're not starting him over Michael Porter Jr. So they're going to have to figure it out. MPJ, I think, I, I think he's going to be back by Christmas. So I'm interested to see how they defend with him. They've been good with him defensively in the lineup. So yeah, I, I'm with you, man. The Nuggets, I need to see the defensive improvement. Michael Malone said he wanted to be a top five defense. I think he knew that wasn't <laughs> – I think he knew that was wishful thinking. But they I hope be he knew that. <laughs> yeah. They should not be this bad. Um, right. You know, I joked in our group chat the other day. Not joked. I said if you had to win a title this season, would you rather have Joker or LeBron? Pina joked that I was drinking too much of the Dwayne Wade wine. But my, my point was that it's <laughs> – uh, my point was that it's – we still haven't seen the the proof of concept that you could build a championship level defense around Joker. Yeah. I think it could happen, but they need to figure it out. Um, of course, we're we're coming up on time here, but I I wanted to ask a completely random question to end the show here today. But have you seen the movie Man on Fire with Denzel Washington? Oh my God! Yeah, the Dude. first cultural reference I'm gonna probably yeah. Understand. There we go. It's the it, it's one of like I would say five or six movies. Where if I'm flipping channels and it's mm-hmm. on, I can't turn it off. It, it, so, it's easily one of those movies. I love it. Last night it was like midnight and I, I just couldn't fall asleep. And I'm flipping through the streamers and I see that Man on Fire is on Amazon Prime. Oh, is it? Word. Oh, and the quickness with which I said, yep. And, I, and, and, and you know what that. I did is is I skipped the first 45 minutes of the movie. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, I don't care about yeah, his relationship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't care the, about his relationship. The with, personal problems. We don't yeah, need to no, know about don't, that. Don't, I, don't, I, yeah, I, I know that he's going <laughs> to grow to love this girl that he's protecting. I don't oh, care God. about their... Give me the give me the part where he's killing four That's people. That's real. Well, and you're I, a goon, I, my dude. You're bro, a goon. I, the the <laughs> silliest part about this movie and the reason I bring it up is because I I never I always forget this. At the end of the movie, this is a massive spoiler alert for the movie Man on Fire, which came out um, in 2004. So if you haven't seen it, that's on you. Denzel dies at the end of the movie. And when his character dies, they put like the they put like it was like John Creasy, and then they put like his birth date and it, the day he died, which like I don't know what Tony Scott was doing when he made this movie, but it was like it's like John Creasy, whatever his birthday is. John Creasy died December sixteenth, two thousand three. So we're we're on the. I just wanted to acknowledge the nineteen year and one week anniversary of john creasy's death in man on fire <laughs> it's just it was so ridiculous it was like 1 30 in the morning and i'm like when did the, uh, I, it was such an absurd part of the movie me, let, me, let me let me defend the guy that was was it tony scott yes um, and i love tony scott i even one of my favorite directors i mean i if you didn't do that and granted, you probably didn't need to do that. I feel like it should have been self-explanatory enough. But I think it's just it it closes the door. Similar, like for instance, with the Sopranos, which I will not give away the ending, even though that <laughs> show ended quite a while ago too. People debate what actually happened there, even though it's pretty abundantly clear. So this was closing the door on what it was by putting like an end date on his life. Uh, I don't <laughs> think it was needed. <laughs> uh, because I mean, the man is uh, spoiler alert in a 
literally in like a van or a car yeah, with yeah, like bleeding cartel out. Yeah. people. Yeah. So like it's very clear <laughs> that they were not going to go take him to Dairy Queen. But um, yeah, I, I I forgot that they put they I, I do remember that, but I had forgotten that they do that. That's really funny. What a Shout great to movie, man, dude! Man on Fire is so good. There's so many good lines in that movie oh too. Like the one God. about he's about to paint his masterpiece or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. an artist. He's an artist he's of death. Yeah, he's an artist of death. And yeah, oh my God! It's I'm gonna, so man. If I have the rest of the day, I've got to pack for <laughs> yeah, a trip today. You gotta watch I Man on Fire. Throw that on. Bro, there's yeah. a scene in the movie <laughs> that makes no sense, and it turns out that Mark Anthony's character. Was in on his daughter's kidnapping, and uh, and um, (laughs) and Denzel is like, (laughs) like has a gun, and he's like, they say a bullet always tells the truth, and it's like, who says that? (laughs) (laughs) But that's not a phrase. Denzel, Denzel went to different schools than we did. Yeah, (laughs) they studied that phrase somewhere. The best part about Denzel's career is he's literally played like Julius Caesar on Broadway. He's been in Fences. He's one of our great, truly, maybe, maybe genuinely our greatest actor ever. But every couple years, he's always like, I'm going to give you a movie where I'm just absolutely going nuts and just killing people. And you know what? Training he, he day. He does it. Training day. The Equalizers, both one and two. Um <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Uh, I haven't seen American Gangster in a minute. Whether he kills anyone, in, I'm pretty sure he kills at least I a couple yeah. people in American yeah. Gangster. <laughs> um, shout out to him and Fences. I I took my girlfriend to see Fences with him and Viola Davis, um, and saw it on stage. Wow, uh, it was just incredible. Like Chris Webber ended up being there that night. Jesse Jackson was there randomly that night. But I just remember thinking like, this is incredible to just watch. We had great seats and just thinking like, that's really Denzel watching up there on stage. And that's it's just nuts. like how, how big a privilege it is to watch him perform. He's just you're incredible. like that's you're like that's John Creasy, that's the guy who literally literally shoved a bomb up someone's up a corrupt cop's butt. I did not say that to myself at the time, but I'm now rewinding yeah. in time, realizing maybe I should have said that to myself. Great, well, great performance though. Um, R.I.P. Creasy, R.I.P. Tony Scott. In all seriousness, I love that movie, and I just had to bring up because I was, I was. That's how thrown away, I, thrown back I was when I remembered that they put his, um, like lifetime on the screen at the end. But uh, Chris, that will do it for today's eventful episode of Open Floor. Um, to everyone listening, I know we've been on on kind of a weird. Uh, holiday schedule here i think we're on it's still maybe once a week until the end of the year to start the year but thank you to all of our listeners we really appreciate you guys um please keep your emails coming openfloormail at gmail.com until the next episode everyone enjoy the nba season enjoy a great day hopefully a great day of christmas hoops uh hope everyone is spending time with their loved ones during the holidays. Um, until next time, continue to enjoy the NBA season. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.